Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. message and it's a message that sometimes it's not fun and it's a message that a lot of Christian leaders and pastors don't want to address and don't want to don't want to talk about because it's not always fun Uh, I'm giving you permission to get mad at me I'm getting you permission to get upset and everything because what I want to do today is I'm is is I don't want to just give you a message. I want to give you a message today that's going to challenge you, that, that's going to prepare you, that's going to strengthen you, that's, that's going to edify you. The title of my message um, that I put down when I was putting it together is a deliverer, using a little bit of the King James, a deliverer cometh, or a deliverer comes. And I want to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures today, and I'm going to give you the scriptures because if, if this challenges you, if maybe this makes your spirit unsettled, and maybe you're not agreeing or, or going along with everything I'm saying, at least please take the scriptures that I'm giving you today and go and search out these scriptures for yourself. Study these scriptures for yourself and ask God to give you a revelation. Ask God to give you an understanding and a knowledge uh, when you go through it yourself. So the first scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And, And Paul says this. He says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Difficult times shall come. And if you want to get into the Greek meaning of the, of the word that's used here, perilous, it can actually literally mean insanity. Insane times are going to come. And in Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that during these last days, During the the time of of trouble, Jesus gives us instructions on what to do during this time of trouble. And remember, when Jesus, in Matthew 24, the disciples are asking him a direct question. When will be the end of the world? And Jesus doesn't tell them, hey, the world is fine. There's not going to be any end of the world. Jesus is answering that question. So if there's any doubt that there is a latter day or last days or an end time, the disciples ask Jesus directly, what will be the sign of the, the, the time of the end or the end of the world? Jesus tells us there are certain things that we can do, certain instructions for us during a time of trouble, during perilous times. The first thing Jesus tells us to do, number one, be careful not to be deceived. That's number one. Number two, Jesus tells us don't worry. Don't be troubled. 
for these things must come to pass. And then the third thing Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 is that we must endure to the end. And if we endure to the end, we will be saved. Now, endure is a strong word. Endure implies that there is going to be unpleasant things occurring. You don't have to endure easy an easy life and, and uh, no problems and nothing bad happening, nothing bad going on around you. You don't have to endure that. The fact that Jesus instructs us to endure, he's implying that times are going to get tough. And remember, he said that persecution is going to come and that he warns us that persecution is going to come in order to prepare us so that when persecution or perilous times or bad things happen to us and around us in the world that will not be offended, that will not be shocked, that will, we won't give up when we see everything falling apart around us on a big scale or a small scale. It doesn't matter. But he tells us that tough times are going to come. So he says you must endure those tough times to the end. And when you endure to the end, you will be saved. And then the fourth thing that Jesus tells us how to act in these times in Matthew 24 is he says that during these times, you must preach the gospel. You don't give up. You don't hide. You don't live in fear. During these troubled times, during these perilous times, you must preach the gospel. So, again, this is a subject that is not fun to talk about. And a lot of times when leaders or pastors talk about this, people get offended and they think, oh, well, you're, you're prophesying that bad things are going to happen to me. You're, prophet, you're, you're wanting difficult things to happen to me. Please understand me. I am not saying that bad things are going to happen to you. I am not prophesying that, and I'm not hoping for, for perilous times to come. What I am doing is I am going to use the word of God to prepare you for troubled times, to prepare you for perilous times if and when they should come. And so, if you'll stay with me today, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you fearful. I'm not trying to tell you, you know, everything is doom and gloom. I'm not trying to tell you that you have to be in despair or depression. Quite the opposite. If you'll stay with me today, and if you'll get an understanding of this truth from the Word of God, at the end of today, I promise you, you will be encouraged, you will be strengthened, you will be inspired, and as I said before, you are going to be challenged. I, I'm a retired police officer, so I'm really good, but I, I'm good at recognizing certain patterns. And if you've been reading the Word of God for any bit of time, you'll understand that, that God shows us His character, and He shows us His personality by certain patterns all throughout the Bible. And it's kind of like God's signature in the Bible when you can recognize these patterns. You recognize, oh, 
That's God. That's the character of God. That's the personality of God. As I was doing my Bible study the past few months, I noticed a certain pattern. And it's not an easily recognizable pattern because it's in different places throughout the Bible. But God has established a, a pattern. And so I'm going to give you three witnesses or three examples of this pattern that God uses when he deals with mankind and when he deals with us. So prepare yourself and get ready to be challenged. The first example where this pattern really starts to uh, first show itself is in the dealings in the book of Job, when God is dealing with Job. So when you go to Job chapter 1, you'll find that the book of Job describes Job as being perfect, as being upright, that he feared God and that he shunned or he avoided, he stayed clear from evil. Job chapter 1 tells us that he continually prayed for his family. He offered sacrifices for their sins. That Job enjoyed great wealth. It tells us that he was the wealthiest person in his region. And when you look at Job chapter 1, you'll see that he has this wonderful family life. It says that his adult children would come over every day. And they would eat with one another. And they just had this great family unity. And after they ate and they enjoyed each other's company, then they would go back to their own house. So Job had it. He was, he, he was blessed. He had a great family life. He was doing literally everything perfect and everything right that's possible for a human being to do. And then you see in the story of Job that even God himself is proud of Job. And that there's a heavenly counsel of God in Job chapter 1. And we see that Satan is showing up in this heavenly counsel. And that God is bragging about Job to the whole council. Could you imagine? If God was sitting in, in heaven and saying, have you seen my servant Jason? Have you seen my servant Raul? Could you imagine your name being spoken by the very lips of God himself? And God is bragging about you and saying how wonderful you are and how much God loves you. So God himself, as Satan comes to this council, is bragging to Satan, and he's bragging to that whole council about Job. And God says, you know what, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth. God said that Job, he is perfect, and he is upright. He's someone that fears me, and he's someone that stays away from evil. Imagine God saying that about you. Man, that would, I, I, that would be wonderful for God to think of me in that way. But then Satan says, you know what, God? You have put this hedge of protection around him on all four sides. I can't get to him. 
But you know what, God? You can brag about Job all you want, but if he only loves you and serves you because you've given him all this blessing and all this great wealth. If you take that away from him, God, Job is going to curse you to your face. So God goes, okay. And in Job chapter 1, it says that God, listen to this. You have to, this is where the pattern is going to start. Listen to this. God himself is the one that gave Satan power, it says, over everything that Job had. Ooh. Huh? Oh, this isn't fun to talk about. You're not going to hear this in, in church. Are you okay with that? Are you, are, are you getting that? That doesn't seem right. But go and look at it. Go and read it for yourself. You, you, you can't blame anything else. Now, God didn't cause anything bad to happen to Job. You have to understand in this pattern, God does not cause it. But God allows it. Read it. It says, God gave Satan power over everything that Job had except for Job's body at this time. Does that sound familiar? In Luke chapter 4, during the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, uh, Jesus, or, uh, Satan tells Jesus that all the kingdoms of the world are mine, and I, can, I have power over them, and I can give it to whoever I want. Sound familiar? Are you okay with that? I mean, God is bragging about Job one minute, and then the next minute, he's giving Satan power over everything that Job has. After God gives Satan power over Job and everything that he has, the very next day, and when you read this in the Bible, Job literally lost everything in one day. It says that a servant came in and said, Job, you've lost all, all your children. And then it says, while that servant was yet speaking, another messenger came in and said, Job, you've lost your house. You've, you've lost all your wealth. You've lost all your money. It was as one servant was speaking, giving Job bad news, another messenger would come in. And when that messenger was done speaking, uh, another one would come in and say, Job, this has happened. This has happened to you. He literally lost everything in one single day. But he was perfect. God himself was bragging about Job. God said that there was no one on the earth like Job. God was so proud of him. But yet, he lost literally everything, including his children. This is real. This is not a fairy tale. This is the word of God. This is real. So what was Job's reaction? It says that Job fell down on the ground after losing everything. He fell down on the ground and he worshiped God. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And then Job tells us in all this that Job sinned not. And even though Job had lost everything in a single day, he did not charge God foolishly. And how many times have we heard that from people, good people, people that we love, when bad things happen? Oh, why did God let this happen? Why did God cause this? And they get offended. But it says, even though Job lost everything in a single day, including people that he loved, his family, probably the worst thing that could happen. I'm sure Job would have said, take my house, take my wealth, take my cattle, but don't take my kids. But even then, Job said, blessed be God, and he did not charge God foolishly. So Job passed the test. But wait. Satan came to the counsel of God a second time concerning Job. Even though God is bragging about Job, God is so proud of Job, Job passes the test, he doesn't sin, he worships God, Satan comes a second time and says, okay, but you know what, God, you didn't give me control over his body. If you give me control over his body, he'll curse you to your face. Go read it. Job chapter 2, verse 6, go read it. Try to make sense of it. But it says, the Lord, God said unto Satan, behold, Job is in your hand. You just can't kill him. It says, but save his life. So remember, God didn't cause the sickness, but God gave, he allowed the sickness to occur in Job's life. So Satan leaves. And he physically afflicted, afflicted Job, so, Job so that he had boils over his in, entire body. And as Job is being physically sick and afflicted by Satan, Job's own wife comes to him and tells him, Job, you know what? You've lost everything. Now you've lost your health. Why don't you just curse God and die? What is Job's response? He tells his wife, you know what? You speak as a foolish woman speaks. What? Shall we only receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job chapter 2 tells us, in all this, did not Job sin with his lips. And we know that his sickness, I don't know how long it lasted, but we know it lasted at least a week, which is a long time to be sick. And because it says that Job's friends came to him and they prayed for seven days and seven nights. So we know that this physical affliction lasted at least for a week. So we have to understand that God does not cause bad things to happen. But there are times that God will allow bad things to happen to you. This is not easy, is it? This is not something that is going to be going to be preached in church on Sunday. Okay? So here's my second example. 
that I'm going to get to. My second witness. And it is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. So the second witness, the second example is going to be the children of Israel as they are going through the wilderness. God has delivered them out of Egypt, and they are now in the wilderness. So listen in a similar pattern how God dealt with Job, how God is going to deal with the Israelites in the wilderness. And it says this, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. Who led the children of Israel through the wilderness? God himself. Remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Listen, as God was leading them, he said, I led you in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee or test you. Why was God testing the nation of Israel in the wilderness? Why? To know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep my commands or no. And he humbled thee, and he allowed you to go hungry. Remember, in this pattern, you have to understand that God does not cause anything, but he will allow it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, he says, or verse 3, he humbled thee, and he allowed you to go hungry. But as you were being hungry, you saw the miracle of manna. And as God allowed you to be hungry, you then were able to witness the miracle of manna. And you saw that even though you were hungry, that God was able to feed you. And why did God allow you to be hungry? And why did God allow you to see the miracle of manna and his provision, it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God doth man live. Sound familiar? Have we heard that somewhere else before? Also Luke chapter 4. He says, consider in thine heart that as man chasteneth his son, so the Lord God chastens thee. Guys, it's going to get good. It's, it's going to get good. Stay with me. Now, that word chasteneth means to teach, to guide, to discipline. Okay? And who are we to think that we are so good and so wonderful that we don't need any teaching or guidance or chastening from God? Remember, I'm trying to prepare you. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, the Lord thy God says, I led thee through the great and terrible wilderness. Again, who led the children of Israel through the wilderness? God himself. And inside this wilderness, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, there were fiery serpents. There were scorpions. There was drought where there was no water. But when you were allowed to be thirsty, I showed you a miracle and I brought water out of the rock. If you were not allowed to be thirsty, you would not have had a full appreciation of the miracle of the water coming out of the rock. And again, in verse 15, or verse 16, God says, why did I do this? 
so that I might humble you and that I might test you and so that I might do you good in the latter end. There was no way of getting around the wilderness. There was no way of avoiding the fiery serpents and the scorpions and the hunger and the thirst. But God said, I am going to lead you through it in order to test you, in order to see if you will follow my commands. And if you pass this test and you follow my commands, I am going to give you good at the end of it all. <laughs> Let's go back to Job so you can see the pattern. It says that the Lord turned the captivity of Job and gave Job twice as much as he had had before. So why did God allow Job to go through this test? Number one, the way God was bragging about Job, God was confident and he believed in Job and he knew that Job was going to be able to pass the test. That should encourage you. He allowed it because he knew Job would pass. He restored his family and gave him twice as much as he had had before. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as they went through the wilderness, it says, for the Lord thy God is bringing you into a good land. But you can't avoid the wilderness. You're going to have to go through it. Promises that he's going to lead us through it. And that when you're hungry, you're going to see the miracle of manna. When you're thirsty, you're going to see the miracle of water coming through the rock. When bad things are happening around you and everything is following around you, if you will pass the test and take the leading and the guidance of God, God is going to show you miracles in your life that you've never seen before. <laughs> oh. My third witness, my third example, oh, this is going to be so good, is Joshua and the people of, Israelite, uh, people of Israel in the book of Judges. We have to understand some stuff about Joshua. Do you know, that when you, if you read your Bible, do you know that Jesus himself spoke to Joshua, not once, but twice? on two different occasions, okay? In Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, we see the captain of the Lord of hosts. And just to dispel any argument, how do we know that's Jesus? Because it says, it further says that Joshua fell down and worshiped him. And we know that if it's just a regular angel, what do they say when you start to worship them? They say, get up, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant, I'm your brother. But the captain of the Lord of hosts allowed Joshua to worship him. Then what we don't, now that's a common one. But in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, the captain of the Lord of hosts or the angel of the Lord shows up a second time and speaks to Joshua again. And he's rebuking the people of Israel because they're not fighting hard enough. In, in Judges chapter 2, verse 1. How do we know that that's Jesus? Because 
the, the angel there in Judges 2, verse 1, says, doesn't say, the Lord had a covenant with you. The Lord told you to do this. That angel says, I made a covenant. I told you to do this. That's how we know it's Jesus. And then in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, God made the sun and the moon to stand still. God himself halted the entire universe on behalf of Joshua. Jesus spoke to him twice. You know how the stars and the constellations move around in a circle if you're into that thing? God literally stopped the entire universe for an entire day on Joshua's behalf. And Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, go look it up. It says, and there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened or the Lord listened or obeyed the voice of a man. <laughs> and then in Joshua uh, chapter 1, verse 5, Joshua receives a promise from God himself. It says, Joshua, as you go in to take the promised land, no one will be able to stand against you. Every time you fight, you will win, period, end of story. No one can stand against you. And I will not leave thee, and I will not forsake thee. Have we heard that before? So you have to understand that there is nothing that Joshua couldn't do. There is no way that Joshua could not be successful. He was told that everywhere you put your foot, you will have success and you will win. But we know at the end of the story, and Judges goes into this a lot, that there were many enemies of God still left in the promised land after Joshua died. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, Jesus spoke to him. God listened to his voice. God promised him victory and success in everywhere he go. So why didn't God at the same time use Joshua to destroy all the nations that were occupying the promised land? Hmm. Why did God allow those nations to be left there? Well, the answer is found in Judges chapter 2. Verse 21, God says this, Judges chapter 2, verse 21. I also will not henceforth drive out any nations from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Verse 22, that through them, through the nations that were left behind, I may prove or that I may test the people of Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers in the wilderness did keep it or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations in order to prove or to test the people that would come up after Joshua, the generation that was going to be there after Joshua. So remember, God did not cause 
the persecutions that we find later on in the book of Judges. But he allowed those nations to harass and to persecute the, the children of Israel after Joshua died in order to test them, in order to prove them to see whether they would follow the ways of God or not. Judges 3, the Lord left the nations to test Israel and to teach them how to fight, to teach them how to war. Verse 4, and they were to prove or test Israel by them, by the nations that were left, to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. So, again, we have to understand in this pattern, God does not cause any of it. But God will allow it. In Job, we see that there was a time of total protection. There was a time for that. But there was also a time for God to lift his hand and take his protection away for his purposes, for his glory, in order to give you a better and a glorious end. For Job, it was twice the blessing after he passed the test. For the, the nation of Israel, it was to go into the, the promised land. But watch what God is showing us in the book of Judges through the people, the next generation that was occupying the land of Israel. It says that there were many persecutions, many different people at different times came and persecuted or caused problems for the nation of Israel. And what hit me and, and, and what really just punched me in the face, metaphorically, is that these times, these hard times and these times of persecution in the book of Judges sometimes lasted for years. It says this nation persecuted them for eight years, for 40 years, for 20 years, for 14 years. And that's what I'm trying to get to you is we as the modern Christian, we want God to sort everything out and take care of everything in one day or one week. And then we don't go back to Matthew 24 where Jesus says you have to endure. And the message that I'm trying to get to you as we see the world crumbling down upon us and we see things falling apart. I'm not hoping for that. I'm not praying for that. I'm not prophesying that. I am saying if and when that happens, we must be prepared for that. We must be prepared to endure. And in the book of Judges, it says that uh, there were many persecutions. They lasted for years at a time. And when the children of Israel started to cry to the Lord that the Lord would raise up a deliverer, Another interpretation of that word is the Lord would raise up a Savior. So as we see the world crumbling around us, as we see the possibility of economies failing, as we see the, the possibility of, of future persecution and famine and food shortages and economies and all this stuff just falling apart around us, if we cry out to God, if we stay faithful, allow God to lead us through the wilderness, to lead us through the tough times, to lead us through the, the persecutions. In the book of Judges, it says that God would raise up a deliverer or a savior. 
But see, if we are living in the Matthew 24 generation, we are not going to get a judge. We are not going to get an Othniel. We are not going to get an Ahud or a Deborah or a, a Samson. If we are in the Matthew 24 generation, as we cry out to God and see the world start to crumble around, around us, we, our Savior is going to be Jesus Christ himself meeting us in the clouds. And I'm trying not to shout and hold it in. Woo! Woo! Unlike the children of Israel in the book of Judges, if we are living in that Matthew 24 generation, if we are in the latter days, our judge, our savior, our deliverer is going to be Jesus Christ himself, the captain of the Lord of hosts. Oh, oh. So I want to encourage you. I just want to edify you and tell you if things are going bad, on a, and I'm talking a big scale in the world, but even on a small scale in your life, endure. Stay faithful and use the word of God and understand that when you get through any tough time, any persecution on a big scale or on a small scale, if you stay true to God and follow his ways and his commands, that he is going to bring you through it. He is going to guide you through it and he is going to bring you to a better end. Oh, oh, but remember, I didn't say it was going to be easy. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous. I didn't say it was going to be easy. You are going to have to endure. But now I hope that you are prepared for anything that is thrown, on, thrown against you. Any persecution, any, any bad thing that comes upon you in your life, I'm hoping now that you are prepared. And you must remember, okay, because a lot of times we do this as a pastor or as a leader. We say, did I sin? You know, did I do something wrong? Look at the book of Job. The first friend accused him of sin. The second, and they did it poetically and color, colorfully. You have to read it yourself. I'm breaking it down, summarizing. The second friend accused Job of not being righteous before God. And towards the end, God was getting ready to kill those friends. Job had to make an offering and a sacrifice to save the friends for falsely accusing you. What I'm telling you, when bad things happen to you, it's not because you sinned. It's not because you're out of the favor of God. It's not because you're out of the righteousness. God is chastening you. And he's trying to, to, uh, to grow you up. And he's proving you. And he's testing you. Have faith in God. Allow him to do it. And stay true. And stay faithful. Because at the end, your deliverer is coming. And for us, we're not going into the promised land. For us, when our deliverer comes, we're going to heaven. We're going to the city in Revelation chapter 21. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website at joshuanations.org.